0: and And the time is just a few seconds past 10 o'clock this is community radio w-e-r-u-f-m 89.9 blue hill and 102.9 in bangor stay tuned for boat talk
1: Good morning, good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month, 10 a.m. Time to have Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Boat Talk is your nautical call-in show here, folks, for uh, for people contemplating things naval. I'm Alan Sprague, and that's Mike Choice over there, the two rusty anchors, the old nautical blowhards here in hurricane season with our eyes... (laughs) With our eyes on what's happening on the coast, here's Mike with some little bits of news from the papers.
0: Yeah, uh, once again, Bo talked to me an embarrassment of riches this morning. We have with us, uh, as, as always when he's around, as Captain Giffy Full is here this month. Wasn't feeling good last month. Glad you're back, Giffy. Glad to have you here. Glad, yeah, to, you. glad to be here. And we have also for guests this morning we have Niles Parker, who's the director of the Penobscot Marine Museum in Searsport, and we have Sam Temple. Sam is uh, he's a young boat builder, and I guess you could call um, uh, I, c- I can call him young. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> Sam takes care of among other things a boat called Jacob Pike, a, a sardine carrier, which has been donated to the Penobscot Marine Museum. And I uh, had a chance to visit down in Belfast Harbor a little while ago. We'll talk about all that.
1: We uh, always interrupt ourselves for a phone call about any time. Yes, you're, if you'd like to make a call, call this number, 1-866-625-9378. That's the number right into Boat Talk.
0: Yeah, we run on Boat Talk Fairly Loose, told uh, Sam and Niles, basically, that while they're here, they're, they're uh, uh, co-hosts as much as guests. You can pipe up about anything you want. And we always have a few uh, news items for uh, getting the program going. Here's an interesting one. There's been a bunch of boat fires this season. And here's one in Bunker Harbor down in uh, Prospect uh, Prospect Harbor down that way uh, uh, the other day. A little fishing boat burned up on its mooring in the middle of the night. And it was uh, thought that somebody saw some people in the water. And a search was made to see if, you know, somebody was in distress and, what it was was uh not exactly that it was a feud, and two boys had swum out to this lobster boat and managed to set it on fire and swam away they were They were seen uh, coming and or going. one of the fellas was found walking up a road um, in Bunker Harbor soaking wet with burns. (laughs) And he ended up in the hospital that night. And uh, so anyway, that was probably not an accidental fire. Or should we suggest very smart arsonists, you know? But the fishery, uh, we always like to say there are different rules for the fishery. You have your state of Maine regulations and you have the real world that the fishermen live in. And like I say, uh, feuds are not unknown in the lobster fishery, if that's what, in fact, is going on here, and uh, people get knots tied in the trap lines, they get cut off, um, you know, uh, people get attacked physically, uh, pets have been molested and killed, and, you know, it gets silly sometimes, but they're competing for a finite resource. There is also a move afoot right now to um, limit the entry to the lobster fishery, which is is limited nowadays, but to uh, the idea nowadays being that the resource is, um, you know, more threatened all the time and uh, times are getting harder, to do away with part-time lobster fishermen is a proposal that some people are thinking about right now. We talked last month on Boat Talk of a sign on a telephone pole down in, uh, oh, uh, not Ben. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute, but anyway, uh, basically it said no part-timers wanted in this harbor. Uh, you know, so-called fishermen with quotes on it. Uh, we, don't, we don't need or want you here is uh, how that was done. Anyway, it's, it's uh, an interesting time to be a lobsterman. They're trying to uh, redo all the ropes right now and go from floating ropes to sinking ropes, the reason being uh, for protecting right whales uh, who do get tangled in the gear. Now, a lot of lobstermen say that I've never seen a right whale. It can't be my problem. But, in fact, three-quarters of the right whales, and we're only talking three to 400 of them, have evidence of uh, rope or rope actually on them. Uh, main tags have been found on these whales down in Florida. It does happen. The newest thing is to um, try to limit the speed limit of ships in whale areas. And this went through last year. Uh, NOAA, the National Oceanographic and administra- uh, Atmospheric Administration, Put some uh, measures up to the White House. Uh, Dick Cheney's crew apparently disappeared into a drawer last year. This would have made a 34-mile-wide buffer where you'd have to reduce speed if you were a big ship um, because the other problem with whales is ship strikes is a uh, large case of mortality, too. The new regulations propose a 23-mile-buffer where every ship over 65 feet would have to go 10 knots, which is about 11 miles an hour. That would cut the speed of some of them in half. And uh, you wonder who this might affect besides people bringing, uh, you know, containers, big ships, into America. Well, how about ferry operators? They generally go more than 10 knots. They'll be restricted. And uh, here's some irony. How about whale watchers? Hmm. They go more than 10 knots, too, because they got to get out yeah. to the whale
1: grounds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so
0: perhaps they'll be, their there's business will be impacted. There's somewhere. a
1: lot of luxury yachts now that are more than 65 feet, too.
0: Oh, a go, lot of them. A and go more than 10 knots.
2: A lot more. Yeah. <coughs> and, uh, but it's, it's a difficult thing to solve. It's not, uh, there's always other entanglements (laughs) so to speak,
1: Giffy's making puns now yeah, he knows the ropes
2: (laughs) yeah, well, um, in a
0: slightly related thing uh, speed is speed, you know, and we all like to go fast Uh, we delivered a boat up from Gloucester, Mass. the other day and we uh, untied her in Gloucester Harbor and took off, now the fellow hadn't used his boat yet that summer and we could not get the boat up to speed so we turned around, went back to the mooring I ended up in Gloucester Harbor looking underneath the boat, and the propeller was all barnacled up. And so it lost all its efficiency, and I, you know, had to scrape the barnacles off of that. Never did did get the boat going more than like five knots or so. And uh, I'm telling you, that extra knot between five and six makes quite a difference when you're out there and you want to get home. So I can sympathize with the people that, like I say,
2: uh, time is money. There's no doubt about it. But speed costs money. Speed costs money, too. And speaking of speed, I'd I'd like to know a little bit more about the fatality that happened in Buzzards Bay recently and what caused that.
0: I just read about that. A uh, fellow on a 30-foot sailboat, two guys on a 30-foot sailboat run over by a 65-foot powerboat, I believe. And do you know anything more about it? No,
2: No, but I'd like to know more about it, how that could happen.
0: I well, um, the other thing I think that I read too—that it was a, wasn't it a nice day, middle of the daytime? I, yeah, Niles is nodding his head. Yes, um, I think it happened in the daytime and in, in not in not the fog
2: too. That's to me. That's pretty inexcusable. You would think. I think it probably has something to do with
0: speed too. Oh, there's no doubt about it, I would I would guess. And uh, I would also guess somebody wasn't keeping a proper watch out of those two vessels, possibly neither one of them. Um, it can be surprising sometimes, especially in a high-traffic area like Buzzards Bay. Boy, there's everybody zipping to and fro little boats out, uh, you know, rod fishing and, and uh, everything from, uh, you know, big shipping going back and forth and, and everything in between. So a uh, very high-traffic area. Um you look down for a little while, and you're uh, on, on watch. Let's, for instance, uh, think that your watch is going very well, and it's stupendously boring. Okay, you've got a couple hours just to kill time. The autopilot's driving the boat. We're on course here. There's no, no gear in the water we're going to run into. I got my head in a book. I want to lay down, maybe rest for a few minutes, get up every once in a while, look around. You'd be surprised how fast the scene can change, especially in a boat coming at some speed to you.
2: Well, I'll say that nobody... On watch on a boat has any business read the book? There I, you go. I know. I, well, <laughs> I, right. I I know of two or three close calls from that, two or three very close calls from doing exactly that, and one that wasn't a close call. Yep.
0: I, I kind of agree with you. On the other hand, I do a lot of boat deliveries and got a lot of time to kill, and I couldn't imagine going without a book. Matter of fact, I won't go with one yeah, book. Yeah, but I off watch, couple. not on watch. Well, you know, you're right. You guy. got four hours in the middle of the night. You'll get caught sooner or later in the Gulf of Maine all by yourself. Yeah. I'm bad. I'll be reading. I'll be laying there reading with a little flashlight, and I'll be thinking, boy, you ought to look up. And the minute I think that, it's like thinking you ought to reef. You've got to get up and look once you think it. you know, There's no, there's no way around that. And I end up getting up and go, oh, that, you know, okay, great. Let's lay down and read again for a little bit. And, and uh, The fact is that you can get kind of bored uh, running a watch with an autopilot out in the Gulf of Maine with nobody around,
1: you know. Yeah, the other end of the uh, spectrum, I know a delivery captain who... Uh, delivers boats by himself and what he does is just turn on the uh, proximity alarm on the radar and just goes down below and just waits for the radar to beep if there's anything nearby. That,
2: that, that I don't agree with.
1: That's that. yeah, that's putting yeah. a lot of reliance on a little piece of a microchip.
2: Yeah, he's going to um, He's going to get in trouble sooner or later.
0: Mm. In the Points East Magazine, a little boat newspaper that's available uh, laying around at all kinds of marine-related outlets, Uh, Dodge Morgan, he was famous for sailing uh, American Promise around the world, did a solo record years ago. His column this week is about, uh, this month is about uh, a watch failure. He says it wasn't him, and it was the most dangerous thing that's ever happened on a boat while he's been there, and somebody could have got run over and killed. And, in fact, it does not take very much. Um, Also on trial right now, uh, happening right now, I believe it's down in Cumberland County, is a fellow who uh, was running a cigarette boat on Long Lake in Naples, Bridgeton area, uh, last summer. or might have been the summer before now. Two twin, twin, 430-horsepower motors. Now, Long Lake is big water. There is, It's a long lake. It's connected to Sebago. There's a lot of big water there. That boat's maybe not out, outsized for it. But uh, he was out in the night. They'd been drinking all day. He was with a young lady, and they ran over a fella and another lady who were out stargazing at a uh, person meteor shower and killed one of them, you know. And he's on trial right now. They're trying to um, overrule his statements made after the uh, thing happened and the, the breathalyzer test, which he did not submit to, uh, for a while, and unwillingly, later on, uh, the main warden's come to do that. They're trying to get that all set away. Great example of it doesn't really matter so much what happened as is, is what they can make of it afterwards. You know.
3: I, I think I heard last night he was convicted of that. Oh, really? Yeah, I was on, the, on the NPR
2: last night. That
3: happened a uh, well, mile. That's of, good.
2: Yeah. He should never be allowed to operate a boat so long, again so long as he lives. Boy,
0: you would think so. And uh, like I say, at night, uh, going that fast, uh, visibility is definitely a problem. That happened a mile up the lake from my sister's camp. And uh, her, her son wanted to go out that night in his whaler. Uh, she wouldn't let him. And they thought it was a car crash up on the road on Route 302 yeah, yeah. when they heard it. Uh, makes a hell of a smuck when you run into something with a boat. How about this one here? Uh, well, there's a couple of uh, interesting buoy Notices here the g moose bu- buoys there 's eleven of them, and they were pioneers uh, in their day of uh, putting weather buoys out in the in the uh, Gulf of Maine. Now there are eleven different systems such as this um, that exist around the country. Funding is in uh, crucial uh, and they 're in dire straits with money right now. The federal government has been funding most of that that has been uh, kind of uh, cut back on, and now they're looking for people who want to donate to these buoys, this buoy uh, um, network here. You can go on to gmoose.com, and you can get observations for the different buoys. Uh, last time I used it, we were talking to the Raw Faith people. They had uh, tried to take Raw Faith south. They'd been dismasted out in the Gulf of Maine. George was saying, oh, the seas were, you know, 20 feet or whatever, and I went to the computer and dialed it up, and uh, the seas were, you know, about 10, 12 feet that day. It's hard to judge seas anyway, but uh, there's something to go on there. So anyway, these uh, g buoys are, are being imperiled by federal funds. Speaking of being imperiled, people are stealing bells and clappers from offshore buoys. And I think they're either taking them for their nautical Kish value or they're selling them for scrap metal. And uh, I think uh, as many as like a half a dozen buoys offshore, outer, outer Penobscot Bay, we're talking, have had pieces removed from them. And as a Coast Guard guy said on the TV, even when we get the buoy up on the deck of our boat, they're not that easy to take apart. So, you know, are people just jumping onto these buoys with with, uh, vice grips and a little WD-40 or a battery-powered sawzall? How did they get there? Uh, how come they're smart enough to get there and jump on a buoy, but not smart enough to realize that that thing makes noise for a reason?
1: It's an organized ring.
4: Oh, another <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
2: Well, it's, it's, it's really not funny in my opinion. When somebody like that gets caught, they should be dealt with severely. I'm wow. kind of hard-nosed about it. but Oh, aids to navigation yeah. cannot yeah.
0: be
1: messed with. Yeah. I, I gotta admit, I, I don't really pay too much attention to uh bell buoys when you're out there because they're first of all. You're like time to, you're you,
2: deaf, you can't hear many of them. Can't hear very well.
1: <laughs> the motor's running. You know, I'm looking for lights, not not really listening well, for rings.
2: Many, many a time when i before we had some of these modern conveniences, I spent a lot of time listening. <laughs>
0: We delivered a boat a little while ago. It was a Hinckley 51, and it had a system on it that I hadn't seen yet. Uh, I believe it's called an AIS system. And this was a uh, a Garmin, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what do you call those things? um the uh, map, uh, map thing there they got, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it, the uh, satellite uh, system there. chart plotter thank you so much. <laughs> anyway, this one had uh, more different views than anyone I've ever seen before. It had a, uh, I think it was a nautical, uh, uh, they had a name for it, nautical eye view. It's basically a computer representation of what the Mariner sees standing at deck level from a given place. It could take the radar and do that by itself. It could, ra- it could lay the radar on the chart. And uh, the thing that it did which surprised me was that, and this was in concert with an XM radio signal, Um, it read the transponders to different vessels and overlaid them on my chart. So we're leaving Portsmouth, Rhode Island after dark. We're coming around the corner by Newport in a boat that needed sea testing, but we're sea testing it after dark while we're going. And this uh, chart plotter had so much information on it, it was confusing. And it would show you... Uh, large vessels, and they're, they're heading, they're bearing in their speed. And uh, so there's vessels anchored in Newport, Rhode Island, that are showing up on my, on my chart plotter thing there and taking up a lot of space on the screen. It's come in handy. Uh, my buddy was coming out of, uh, well, he was going up Long Island Sound. He was coming by New London, Connecticut. He called a tug and a tow, on the radio and says, "Look, I see you're uh, proceeding out of the harbor at such a speed at such a course. I don't think we're going to have a problem." The guy goes, "Where are you? I can't see you." He says, "Well, you're on my. You've come up on this uh, transponder overlay," and the guy's going, "Really? <laughs> Wasn't even ten. He was ten miles away, you know."
5: And it's reading the boats' names and everything
0: now, too. Oh yeah, the I mean, boat's name, the speed, the course. Uh, the you know, if they're on anchor, they're they're not they're not moving, zero knots. And right. uh, so anyway, here's the thing though. We've got the the uh, We got the uh, difference between that amount of information, some of it, just way too much information, and the bell that we're listening for that somebody stole the clapper. Now, what happens when the power goes off or, or, uh, you know, the satellite thing's not working? We were discussing the other day, do we still remember how to run a course with a stopwatch? A
2: lot of people don't.
0: Everybody's nodding and shaking their heads here. None of us have done it for a while.
3: And well, the, the chart plotter on the Jacob Pike only plots west. We we can't go east right now. So we've been doing a lot of that, a lot of by hand work. Well, you keep
1: going west, and eventually you'll end up back here. <laughs> I haven't
2: tried that. But it occurred to me.
1: Good Lord, we'll have to get to that. That's interesting.
2: Um, how about talking about the Jacob Pike?
0: Yeah, we can uh, start in on Jacob Pike. Uh, can I do one more thing about fisheries here? This is um, uh, thought this one was kind of interesting too, and it's it's quite relevant as well. Another uh, call-in show. I think it's the first Friday of the month. Renewable Radio on WERU talk about renewable uh, power issues and stuff. And of course, the big thing now is windmills. Not to mention tide power. Um, the only tide power being made in the United States is happening in uh, down in Eastport right now in a little barge, and they have been successful. They're going to crank it up, and uh, they are trying to. Um, they want to expand the barge uh, about five times of what they've made so far. And uh, it has been successful for them so far. That's going down in eSport. But here's a little note from down in Long Island Sound again. They recently put in a 320-megawatt underwater cable in Long Island Sound. And what they found was there were big um, impacts on, on uh, what do you call those things there, compasses. You know, you, you go over that cable with that high power in it, and you get up to an 18-degree magnetic variation in your compass and it was affecting uh, navigation down there. They also are wondering if that cable would act like a fence on the bottom for, uh, for you know marine life, yeah, lobsters sure. specifically. Um, you're talking about vibrations in the water from the uh, wind turbines themselves, and also you generate an electric magnetic field. Now, what's going to be the effect on marine life? Nobody knows. Um, they suggest that lobsters are not going to want to cross that fence. They also say that in Long Island Sound, with the lobster resource being so diminished, it would be hard to say. Uh, studies have been done in Norway, and they want to do studies here, but uh, it is a tricky thing to figure out now. Pretty simple, let's put some Let's put some wind turbines out in the Gulf of Maine, all kinds of empty space, windy out there, nothing to it, right?
2: Well, it's a, it's a, a pet conversation, piece of mine. I think there's Tremendous opportunities right here in Maine for tidal power. I mean, if you just went some of these places like up to Sullivan, and j- j- just you couldn't hardly calculate the horsepower that goes back and forth mm-hmm. every day in those places, in even river- down to Blue Hill Falls. It's a tremendous amount of horsepower goes through there every day that's not harnessed. Yeah. And you could harness it. It's clean. It wouldn't do anything of any harm to the environment.
0: Well, you would think, but now we have this uh, maybe electric Yeah, but these are
2: short cables. They only go a few yards to go ashore.
0: You would hope. They also pointed out in the article about um, eSport that... There are really only a couple places in the United States that have really good exploitable tidal power. You need a pretty good uh, uh, tide range, and that would be uh, Washington State, Puget Sound, and here are and the here, two real yeah. places. Well, but you have places like tidal, what Giffy's speaking of, down to Hancock and Blue Hill Falls are Tidal Falls, where they're they also, reverse.
2: They're also doing something of that nature down in the East River yep. around Hell's Gate. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but I think there's. I think that would be far more efficient than windmills. It's got to be. I mean, that's every day, you know, every day. One thing
0: they speak of there is that the tide changes twice a day. It doesn't matter what the weather is.
2: Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it seems to me I remember that. It's
0: always coming, okay? (laughs) And the other thing is that water is denser than air, so it takes less turbine area to make the same amount of electricity yeah. when you're using water as the spinning force
1: instead of air, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting, too. Well, we have a phone call, so let, let's go to that and keep going on with this. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
6: Thanks. Uh, this is uh, Fred in St. George. Hi, Fred. A uh, couple of things. Uh, yeah, the uh, With regard to the theft, uh, just a sign of how uh, hungry the world is and uh, getting hungrier uh, as uh, things change. Um. I did a little dead reckoning lately uh, when the uh, when the uh, GPS froze. Uh, was taking a boat in the fog, just just a few miles, and uh, I was surprised uh, how well I did. And uh, by concentrating partly on the little signs like the lobster buoys, the current, the color of the water, you know, details as well as the compass and the clock. And it was it was good practice, and I. Uh, Came out just fine, but I realized it could have gone the other way too. So, uh, so I think I'll uh, practice a bit.
0: Practice make anybody good at almost anything,
7: George. <laughs> George.
6: And uh, uh, the, the last comment I have to make is uh, regarding the uh, law of un- unintended consequences uh, regarding you know uh, what you were just talking about, and uh, in this time of uh, change, uh, rapid change, and. Uh, big uh, big things going on and being pushed very fast I'm thinking of you know the the price of energy and how hungry uh, uh, we all are for alternatives and uh, and to not have to pay for a five gall five dollars a gallon for gas, but uh, you know every change has some effect, and uh, who knows what the uh, you know, what the effects on the side will be, uh, not just the major ones that we can see coming.
0: It is all connected, isn't it? Uh huh. In some ways, would surprise you.
6: <laughs> We've been surprised. Yeah. Anyway, that. Oh, and uh, just uh, the uh, the guy in his school bus. I uh, he, uh, hope he's uh, continuing with his dream, however it works out, because uh, you, know, uh, you know, I've got my dreams, and uh, everybody needs everybody needs a dream.
0: We haven't talked to Mark Rorig and uh, We'll see a school bus which he's uh, trying to fix up to sail around the world on land and the water. Did get a call last month from uh, people from uh, the Village Soup uh, down in Rockland, and they were, after information about Raw Faith, Raw Faith has been re-rigged. She's sitting in uh, Rockland Harbor with mass on her, uh-huh. and they were asking me, the Village Soup people, uh, whether I knew about their plans to sail down to Belfast, which I didn't. I tried to get a hold of George on Raw Faith, and I was not able to, so we don't have an update on that. But he had to... Uh, Uh, show the Coast Guard uh, plans for the new rig. He drew them himself, and they were approved by the Coast Guard, and he's had a bunch of uh, new good-looking, I'm told, spars installed. Uh, Nice and stout was the word I heard. And uh, George is threatening to uh, try to sail away again with raw faith, so on a related subject, Fred.
6: Yeah, good good luck to him, my uh, my thought for George is to upgrade uh, upgrade his faith, perhaps uh, from raw to uh, something uh, maybe a little more cooked.
0: Well, and George has a uh, vessel with no no engine in it as well, and uh, you know, uh, learning to sail that thing—it's been my advice forever. Um, you know, he has caused a lot of some some controversy on the coast here and, and run afoul of of some of the local boating community. Um, the best thing he could do is practice sailing that boat around and learn to sail it and demonstrate competence, which is the only thing you really can't knock somebody for, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it remains to be seen if if, uh, Raw Faith will try to sail south again this winter and will three be the lucky number for getting her out of the Gulf of Maine. His last two trips have not gone according to plan. Well,
6: we hope so, and, and your program is wonderful. Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you, Fred
0: thank you Fred Fred's a usual suspect. He can say that we will say nice things to him too,
1: so one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight yeah,
0: we're doing boat talk this morning, and we have Niles Parker and he's the uh fairly new director of the Penobscot Marine Museum. I noticed when you came to town, I wrote it down we needed to talk to you. I think that was like two years ago Just now, about, wasn't it? yeah that's right, yeah, let's start with you niles uh.
5: How'd you get here? What's your background? Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, it's been about two years now. Um, uh, before this, I was the uh, curator and then uh, director at the Nantucket Historical Association out on the island uh, down there and uh, really enjoyed that. Are you more of a, a museum guy or a marine guy, or? A, uh, yeah, more of a museum background. Before before there, I worked in Cooperstown, New York, at a, uh, the New York State Historical Association and an art museum for about seven years before that. Neat. But uh, I've always had an interest in you know things maritime in the ocean, and particularly this area. My wife's family's from the Bangor area, and I've got relatives down in the Blue Hill Peninsula. So uh, I've been thinking for a long time about getting back this way, and happy that it worked out. Tell us about the Penobscot Marine Museum. How long has it been there? How did that get started? Yeah, let's see. It's, we're going towards 75 years now. It's the oldest maritime museum in the state, uh, believe it or not. Wow. Founded, founded in Searsport um, in uh, 1936 in the old Searsport Town Hall. And, you know, started as sort of a one-building museum, collecting artifacts and portraits of some of the sea captains and heritage in 19th century late 18th century seafaring in that area and telling the stories of those people and the, the, uh, the seafaring history of the region. And over the years, it's grown, you know, acquiring more buildings on the campus. We now have 14 buildings scattered around uh, the green there in downtown Searsport. Campus, that's a great word. Yeah, well, it has become one. I, yeah. One of the things I've been surprised about since I've been here is people think we're just that one building right there on Route 1 or, you know, people are truly surprised when they see how much we really have there, both in terms of buildings, but the collections as well. It's a great, great resource that we are excited to be doing more with and looking to the future in terms of becoming a more year-round, um, I think, community-connected organization for this area. Is the museum open year-round? Well, we closed most of the buildings down uh, in late October. Um, Old, unheated, uh, un- yeah, you got it. uh... <clears throat> Talk about 5 dollars uh, you gallon know, gas, heating oil. For us, it's a real challenge, given the 14 buildings for, you know, that aren't, aren't insulated. So we're looking pretty closely at how we can, you know, um, condense our operations from that standpoint, but at the same time do more uh, reaching out into the area. And, and one of the key ones, I think, is our education programming, which has been growing by leaps and bounds in the last couple of years. Talk about it. What's what's involved? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, our school visits have increased by 70% over the last two years, and we've been going out to the schools um, as well, bringing educational material, talks, interactive components for the kids and the teachers to get involved with. What I think finally tilted uh, tilted in our favor, we embarked on um, a program about, about two years ago, a federally funded program to create a curriculum based on the main State Learning Standards. So we, have, we now have a, uh, a workbook curriculum projects for teachers that they can take. It's basically done for them, and there's a great website that goes with it. Uh, the, the address is www.penobscotbayhistory.org, And so instead of, you know, saying, Yeah, we've got lots of stuff, you've got to bring the kids down here, we're actually working with the teachers to provide them an easier to organize lesson plan um, and trips that tie in with what they're responsible for doing in terms of the Maine State learning standards. So it's much easier for them now to find the time and they can uh, justify it by saying that the kids are learning very specific examples of uh, Maine history, national history, maritime history, across the spectrum from science to English to math, you name it, um, and it it helps uh, achieve
1: the the state learning results. So we're very pleased with it, and we think there's huge potential for growth there. Um, Niles, I don't mean to interrupt you, but we have a phone call, so we we'd like to break for those whenever they come in, so... Oh, no, they hung up. So. <laughs> Boy, uh, I,
0: I like the education uh, component there. You never know what will stick in a kid's head, do you?
5: Well, that's just it. And, and you know, I, it's one of my pet peeves in terms of, uh, you know, I think kids growing up today and the general public in our connection with the sea, I think that much of the 20th century, and this is an overgeneralization, I know that, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. But uh, I think a lot of American culture has become disconnected from the sea. In the 20th century, I think we, you know, definitely turned our attention to the car and the automobile and Route TV. 1 and 95, yes. you know, literally in many cities, splitting us from our waterfront. And I think we've begun to realize that that was probably a mistake. And in cities everywhere, you see those efforts now trying to reconnect to the waterfront. And I think from an educational point of view, we've got to do our job at reconnecting those kids growing up with the ocean.
2: I think that's great. Yeah, I think.
5: I think it's really, really important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see kids growing up whose ancestors were sea captains, you know, yeah. and live 100 yards away. From I see what's lost
2: uh, every day. I see what's lost in our history and what the country has lost. And I, I think it's just wonderful to make some attempt to turn it around. I think, yeah, and again, for, you know, for this region that is so defined by the ocean and, and Penobscot to Bay. My, to my mind, it's not money wasted that you have to put into it. I've Been
0: trying to do the same thing to get kids aware of of, of jobs in the boating industry and and uh, employment potential. You know, get them get them thinking of uh, you know being boat builders. Get them uh, thinking about the boat school. It's all connected.
5: And there are a lot of efforts going on right now across the state, you know, at that very thing, trying to raise awareness, you know, for the next generation uh, and help them realize that there really is a viable option in terms of employment and you know staying. Close to home in many cases, and doing something that you can provide a, you know make a good living, and um, and something that's really about the sense of place of this region. We can mix
0: poli- uh, boat talk and uh, politic buzzwords here. Uh, it used to be that everything came on the water; it was the best way to transport anything, well, especially heavy things. And nowadays, of course, uh, in the twenties, for instance, um, things changed in Maine. We started looking to the roads instead of the bays for transporting things. You know, and uh, things changed quite a bit. Now, um, you know, times are changing, and, and nowadays, I hate, to, I hate to even say it, it's kind of, it's kind of a bit of a joke, but uh, people out on the water are kind of elitist nowadays, you know. You need to, you need to be a yachter to be out on the water, you know, and, and not everybody is out there.
5: Yeah, I, I, uh, I think, you know, general points, right, Mike? I, I, think, um, I think, though, and again, particularly in this region, I think there's a pretty diverse, from what I've seen... Uh, pretty diverse approach to what being on the water means and appreciation for, um, you know, boat-building heritage and on-the-water heritage with a very deep-water port, you know, in Searsport, or whether it's building wooden boats in Brooklyn or, you know, anywhere. I think there's a pretty richly layered history here and a a general appreciation for it, which is, I think, really encouraging to see.
1: Yeah, we hope so. Phone's ringing. Yep, we do have another phone call. (coughs) Let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
7: Yes. Good morning. Um, I'm calling it's, from Sedgwick. Okay. Um, I know that voice. You know that voice. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. Who is speaking with this morning? This is Havil Hawkins in Sedgwick. And um, oh boy, are we in trouble? You're in big trouble now. <laughs> I had to. I had to call. You were talking about kids and education and history and all that stuff, and it's kind of a uh, subject near and dear to my heart. And I had to put a plug-in for this outfit in Castine called Windward Passage that I was working with this summer. We, um, Their mission, and nobody's ever heard of them, but their mission is to put kids on the water and take them sailing. And I spent five weeks with six kids. We went for five days at a time on my boat, and most uh, two out of the six kids most of the time were uh, foster kids from DHHS. So there's a outfit right there that's done one hell of a job of Trying to get kids on the water, and they're uh, they're all volunteer operation. And uh, so that's a I great program. It's a good program, yeah. but and I'm doing this in a vessel which is sort of what I like to call trailing edge technology. It's it's a <laughs> it's a very traditionally rigged vessel, uh, no winches, no electronics, no nothing. I got a little handheld GPS, but when we do our navigation and stuff out here, I use it to check up on my paperwork. But uh, that's the end of it and I was quite impressed with a caller before that said he he gets his information from lobster buoys, and I'd like to add to that the smell of the rocks and the trees and reflected waves and everything. I mean, having spent 20, 25 years sailing windjammers around with nothing but a watch and a compass, um, the ability to open your head up and see everything around you and be aware of it is incredibly important. Electronics do some really cool stuff, but it's no substitute for being aware and then having your um gps and whatnot all the all the fancy stuff should be as far as i'm concerned a way to check on what you're doing on paper but anyway i just thought i'd call my mates really what i wanted to talk about was the was the history and and the sears port and the jacob pike is has always been one of my favorite vessels along with her sister the pauline which kind of got up a few years ago.
0: But, it, but, up, I guess. We, wouldn't it be more polite than screw Well, it? I
7: suppose I should be polite, yeah, but I, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of too bad because she's neither fish nor foul now. But,
0: uh, I haven't uh, seen it, her around in a while. Yeah, oh, lay she's laying down the
2: buildings. Havilah, I think you're doing 100% the right thing. The, <laughs> your, the children are learning the basics from the ground up, and, and that's the way it should be.
7: Yeah, well we have a lot of fun. I mean I, I won't have an outboard boat anywhere near my vessel. Uh, I've never had a pair of oars that wouldn't start. And uh I think <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I think that the idea that a kid should learn how to row away before he pulls a cord or pushes a button on an outboard is important and uh, and uh, not only that, but keeping the hell out of prophylactic thingies. They they're a suicide machine. So there's a whole lot of this Stuff, which means a very means a great deal to me. And I don't try to teach these kids anything. I, it's all experiential. They just, okay, we're going to row ashore. Now, that's the end of it. I give two kids, two, you know, a pair of oars each, and the rest of us sit in the boat, and we paddle ashore. I don't care how long it takes. But it's amazing in a few short days how I can put two kids in the boat, and they'll row us ashore, no problem. So, it's okay, wonderful.
2: I'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. It's wonderful.
7: Anyway, I think yeah. there's a lot of room, or there's more room, for what I'm doing. A little bit more exposure. But I think this... This outfit out of castine is doing one hell of a job, and like i say it's all all volunteer stuff they give uh you know, scholarships and funding and whatnot to kids who can't make it uh it's just they're doing they're doing a wonderful job, and i'm not just doing that because they they keep me busy <laughs> you know I did five weeks with them, but i'm I'm charging minimal amount to keep me afloat and uh, but it's uh, it's a cause where like have a look working harder on
1: do you have any uh contact information for that group
7: <laughs> oh, god i knew you were going to say that <laughs> her name is pam scott who runs the place and um
2: as he said we'll, yeah, we'll find out we'll yeah. find out we'll, and, we'll look her up yeah, we've yeah they've got pam. a website
7: i think you could probably just google um yeah when yeah. yeah. and yeah. uh who can get to it they were using the boat but since she's gone to the arctic the last couple of years they've gone with me because I carry I only carry 6. She carries 10 so it's a smaller more intimate program than yeah. I do.
3: How old are those kids have?
7: A... We run between uh, 11 or 12 and 18. So uh, I'm like to push toward the younger side of it but with the DHS kids and stuff this kid, that it
0: becomes a little bit of a problem but anyway. Had <laughs> any kids that have had any bad I mean if you had kids that have have seemed not to enjoy themselves out
7: there finally oh no we had a ball i mean everybody <laughs> it's a riot some of the you know, one kid in particular came over. i don't want to be here this is think parents made me do this yada 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 and after a couple of days i like we hiked up over we hiked up over duck rock duck harbor mountain on Isle Said, "Geez, i can't wait to get boat i said wait a minute wait a minute, a minute ago you want to get off the boat now you want to get back on it <laughs> so anyway man, I I mean, think you know a couple of Days into it, I said, well, "I'm tired of hearing negative stuff." Anybody here says anything negative about it, you know, it's just whining stuff. I said, Dude. and then I, everything, every time somebody said something after that, I said, ah, "But I mean that in a positive way." And I said, <laughs> "So no, I, I don't think anybody's had a negative experience at all. It's uh, a radical enough thing for them to be stuck without too much sugar and no electronics for a week, you know."
0: <laughs> Hard times, Havil Hawkins. Uh, one of the. Well, I guess you could say founders of the main windjammer trade. Well, my father was. My
7: father was pretty early on in it. We started in 49. Yeah. Yeah. And And we sailed, you know, we sailed the Tabor and the Alice Wentworth. And he had the Mary Day built in 62. She went on board. I had my design built my vessel in 96.
0: Why wasn't uh, taking Pauline, which was an ex sardine carrier? We'll get to Jacob Pike in a a few (laughs) minutes here. They tarted her up. They uh, put a a house on her and. and, they were going to haul paying passengers like a, a windjammer, but with a, a good big engine instead. Um, has that been successful for
7: them? No, it didn't work out too good. Yeah, I, why? Well, I don't know. I think the windjammer thing is about the sailing and stuff. There are other people who have tried. For instance, there's this, um, what do you call it now, out of Belfast, a Voyager or yeah, wanderer Yeah, wanderer. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. doing the same thing, and she can go farther afield. That's what motorboats, big motorboats are for. My problem with Pauline is that she didn't really make it to the steamboat thing that she was looking for. There were, you know, aesthetically, there were things that didn't work out. They wound up with putting a lot of stuff up high, and she rolled hard and was, rolled deep and soft. But, uh, you know, I don't think it worked out
2: quite the way. Taurus love that big roll, don't they? <laughs> the shame yeah. of it is the hull has been largely rebuilt, and now she's just uh, laying fallow and it's yeah. uh, going downhill. She's uh, a cool boat.
7: You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely no question she's a neat vessel. Yeah.
2: You know, I don't Something want to be. should be done with her. I hope somebody comes along and saves her.
7: Well, there's a lot of those things out there. There's yeah. <laughs> all kinds I of know. vessels that need of, saving out there.
2: A lot of dreamers. Yeah. <laughs> like me. Yeah.
7: yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> gotta, I, I've used up enough of your time. I'll get to go. I thank got, you. Got, i
2: got a boat to work on. <laughs> i right. to get out of here.
7: but uh, I appreciate I your show. I enjoy it.
2: Can, can we. Can you tell us what your plans are for the Jacob Pikes? Yeah, I'd be uh, happy. I'm very interested. Let's, uh, dis-
0: let's describe Jacob Pike first off for people who are not familiar with it. Uh, sure.
5: Yeah. It's a uh, 83-foot uh, sardine carrier Yeah. built by Newbert and Wallace in 1949. Wood. Down in Thomaston. Wood. Yeah, wood boat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and i think generally considered by a lot of people to be the finest example of such a boat built in maine she's handsome
0: really yeah, really she is boat. handsome she yeah. is handsome how you know but anyway uh, and jacob has made its living um uh carrying herring and basically what happens is um you know people will uh, either have a um uh, a purse saying, that they will surround a school of herring with a net that uh, they drop over the top of them and and cinch a line on the bottom, purse them up. Now they have all these fish in the net. How do they get them to the fish factory? Well, a boat like Jacob Pike comes along, steams up to the net where they catch the fish. Same would apply for a a weir trap, which uh, are not used so much nowadays, but used to be. And uh, a boat like the Jacob Pike, a carrier boat, will steam up to the fish that have been caught puts a big old suction pump in, in the water, basically the uh, size of a five-gallon uh, drywall bucket, and vacuums the fish out of the net. They go through a uh, series of uh, ducting and run through what's called a scale box. Okay, And this is kind of interesting. When when the uh, herring are on their way into the hold of, of the Jacob Pike, they go through all, over the, all these mesh screens and stuff, and a lot of the herring scales fall off these get bagged up and traditionally the load the herring themselves belongs to the uh fisherman and the plant okay the other the fellows on the Jacob Pike they're carrying those um, traditionally i used to go around with Edward M sometimes um, they get the scales as kind of a bonus these scales are very valuable a bag of those scales is several hundred dollars and it gets used for pearl essence in makeup. Yep, lipstick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ladies can't have those glossy lips without them fish scales. Isn't that, isn't that neat? So if you see a sardine carrier, it's got all these aluminum boxes up on the uh, wheelhouse and stuff. Those are, That's uh, the scale boxes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fish go from the net through all those boxes. Scales come off byproduct. And now we've got a uh, hold full of herring. The boat's sitting way down on its rails now and uh, quite heavy, and now it's her job to get it to uh, one of what used to be several uh, fish factories, Prospect Harbor, Bath, uh, Belfast, you know, now down to Prospect Harbor, um, without running onto a rock, because they're loaded very uh, deeply
5: and losing any fish, which happens quite a bit, too. So that's what Jacob did for a living. And here's what's great about it, is that it's still, you know, pretty much in original condition. I mean, you see the wear marks, you see the line marks, you see the... You know, the the marks and the hold from where the the, the herring was.
3: Yeah, the courses on the charts are there and everything.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's like they just walked away and left everything from the last trip still there. And so it's a remarkable boat from uh, documentary evidence and what it says uh, about the herring industry and, again, about this region. And I think uh, Dana Rice and Taylor uh, Allen and Martha White, you know, deserve a lot of credit uh, and our thanks to the museum for recognizing that and help to preserve the boat as it was and sort of seeing what this thing meant as a symbol for this region. And uh, and I think it's now our duty to do what we can to preserve that and tell so, those stories. Tell us what you're to Well, I, I don't know if Sam wants to um, – I'll come back to that in a second, Giffy, but it, it seems like Sam um, might be able to chip in a little bit here just in terms of talking about the condition of the pike he spent the last year working on what we were just talking about in terms of the hold and the decks and the hull and everything, and has been spending more time than anybody uh, very close with this boat. So, um,
0: I saw the boat down to the Belfast
5: Come Boating Festival this
0: summer. I walked down on the dock, and I burst out laughing. I, I, I said to myself, this boat's owned by a museum. I thought it would be a lot better. You know, no rust spots, no little, uh, you know what I'm saying. Well, I'll, I'll yeah. get,
5: She's not pristine. No. That's right. Yeah, and that's precisely, uh, we can talk more about this, but... Precisely why we're happy to have it. Yeah. Sam
0: Temple, uh, like you say, been looking out for the boat for years. Sam, interestingly enough, is sort of related to Boat Talk. Boat Talk was started years ago by uh, Joel White and Maynard Bray with uh, Kathy Melio helping them get it going in engineering. Uh, Sam is Joel White's grandson. That's right. Yeah, and we've talked about uh, those tapes apparently exist in the basement here, and we'd like to unearth them. That would be great. Yeah, that would be great. So you've been uh, taking care of Jacob for a uh, couple years now. Oh,
3: just, just since April, really, okay. since I came on board. Yeah, And Maynard, Maynard Bray actually deserves the credit for getting me on board this project. I, I knew it was going on through him and uh, was looking for a way out of the shop for the summer. and It's been pretty great.
0: What uh, shape is she in, generally? You and I uh, use the term Band-Aids for, you know, we've been putting Band-Aids on her for a while, haven't we? Yeah,
3: well, I mean, original is one way to say it. Um, you know, there's, there's been some new planks, and she did have new fastenings at one point. But, uh, you know, the the condition of the frames is probably a little soft. I put a drill bit in them a couple times, you know, here and there to see what came out. And it, it was a little, little soft and furry, you know, it's red oak frames and yellow pine, yellow pine planking and then another interior ceiling of uh, yellow pine.
1: Well, uh, Sam, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but we have uh, a phone call, so let's, let's go to that. couple people waiting on the phone. One eight six six six
0: two five nine three seven eight 625 9378 is the number here. We're doing Boat Talk this morning. Good morning.
1: Welcome to Boat Talk.
4: Hey, this is Will from Camden. How are you? Good. Honey. How are you, Will? Good. Uh, just about the pike, a couple of added details. Um... The boat landed at Rockport Marine through the uh, good uh, will of uh, Taylor Allen, and it's my understanding that he bought it or uh, is somehow in the middle of the uh, transaction and getting it to the museum, and it's been sitting at the dock or on the mooring at Rockport Marine for about a year. And as I understand it, I've come in that day as busy. As somebody commented earlier, the... the uh, the fishermen uh, picked up their lung, uh, their uh, lunch bucket and walked off, and that was it. So it pretty much just came out of active use right to the dock, and then it's been pretty much in holding. They painted it up last year a little bit, and that was it, and uh, waiting for the museum to be able to work with it. So I just want to add that a little bit, oh. and uh, I think Taylor should be uh, um, at least noted for his uh, role, I think a significant role in this.
5: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned it, because Taylor, um, I think saw this vision and, and, again, as I said, what this boat represented and uh, gets a lot of credit and our thanks for 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 that and for his generosity in, in helping the boat get to the museum and, you know, the work that's already gone on uh, on the boat. And I think Taylor would also be quick to point out um, uh, Dana as well, who had the boat in Prospect, I think Prospect Harbor. for another uh, year. Harbor, had, um, yeah. Sullivan. Yeah, Sullivan, yeah. Sullivan, yeah. Sullivan. I think who also... Um, as I said, sort of saw that vision and what it represented. So it, what has amazed me uh, in the little bit since we've been involved at the museum is the number of people who know this boat and recognize the boat and come forward and saying, wow, that I, you know, I love that boat. I remember working on that boat. I, I salted it down and I worked in the, uh, you know, whatever, some connection. In fact, uh, at that Belfast event, Mike, that you were mentioning, yeah,
0: the old fellow there, 91-year-old Rockland, gentleman
5: yeah. from Rockland comes up uh, named Lawrence Lord, who was the engineer when it was launched in 1949, wow. with fantastic stories to and tell. And his brother
0: was the captain, and they spent, like, what, 20 years or so exactly. running around on her.
5: Another guy named Dan Holmes has come forward who worked on her, I think, for about that same length of time. And, the uh, you know, it's not a collector
1: of uh, sardines anymore. It's a collector of stories and, t- uh, and great stories at that be interesting to record some of these fellows and make a whole... Absolutely, Pike, They did that. Yeah.
0: They videoed uh, Lawrence Lord right on the deck of the boat that Saturday morning in Belfast. there telling stories.
5: It's a, big, it's a big project for us and one that we're looking forward to because, as I say, a lot of people are coming forward willing to talk and, and tell these stories. And I'll just put in a plug for our history conference, which is at the museum, October 24th and 25th. Uh, the theme this year is a working waterfront. We're going to have a section on the Jacob Pike. But for that Friday night, what we're trying to set up, in addition to a chowder supper and a maybe some fiddle music, is a bit of a gam and have people who had experience with the Jacob Pike, worked on it, and that type of thing, come forward, and, and we'll record that and share those stories as part of it.
2: What, what do you plan to do with it this winter?
5: Right. So I- back to your original question, Giffy, and, you know, what do we plan to do with it? And uh, Sam can pipe in here in terms of the condition. But, uh, I mean, it all comes down to sort of a basic question, and that is do you restore the boat? Or do you try to preserve this original fabric that we were talking about? And it's a question that I think well, I think fishermen and you know, general boat owners face all the time. But as a museum, um, it's a little added twist to it. You know, I'll reveal my feelings on it, and that is, we have the unique position to try to preserve what is almost an original condition boat again, some of those wear lines and the marks, they
0: all tell stories. Mm-hmm. The patina Martha Stewart could not reproduce. Well, that's it, you know, yeah. and it's these
5: stories and those lines and those, uh, the, you know, the scrapes, uh, the, the paint, and that it, to me
2: is what's beautiful about this boat and what we should be trying hard to preserve. Yeah. Well, that's okay, but there's, there's uh, some other realistic issues we have to deal with, and that is that uh, there's, 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 it's almost impossible. To, to hold that vessel in its present state. You can't do it. It could be done, yep. but it would cost so much money to do it, it's ridiculous. In other words, you'd have to have uh, a climate control building, separate climate control building to do that and it wouldn't work.
3: Right. Yeah, it would absolutely mean taking the boat out of the water. Yeah, that, and that's, that's the other big that, question. I here. think
2: that's I think that's very detrimental. Yep. Very detrimental. I think you know, I hate to be so blunt and honest about it, but in 20 years she'll be gone. Right, she'll be gone. No, you're absolutely and right. And that there's a lot of work can be done on that boat. You know, still keeping the cost under control because you can do a lot of work on that boat right in the water.
5: And Sam's right Sam has water. begun the summer in terms of doing you know some yeah, of that work. Yeah, but right I'm in the water.
2: talking about other significant
3: work yeah he's talking but. about stuff more substantial than yeah than right me, and, and you can myself. still do, can it do it in it. the water
2: yeah. i mean you did this for hundreds of years didn't haul out vessels you're absolutely did right Worked worked them down to within a foot of the water line right in the water it's and it gets to that question
5: of you know what i started yeah. saying is where do we draw that line and i think it's a well, very fine line and it's one
2: that we're going to take a little bit of time to explore oh yeah it's not it's not easy but you can do it and and you can do it in stages. It doesn't all have to be done at once. Right. You well, can do it in stages. You can do uh, the shear down so far on one side or half of the one side, and right. then you can do another. And I think as we do it, we want to be careful that
5: you know the, the work we do can be reversible or that we well, document you, and record certain elements. Well, of yeah,
2: but you also want to do it in any way. It will violate the, the purity a little bit. But wherever possible, I use the best materials that you know are going to stand up for a long time. And it's got to shed water like a dock, or it's going to die a rotten death. Absolutely,
3: yeah. There's an article in the most recent Wooden Boat on uh, the vessel Rowan, another Newburton Wallace boat Um, from a year previous. In that article. uh, Gives details on a lot of the same sort of issues that we're dealing with, and a lot of they made some changes in the reconstruction that I feel like we're good. What are you
2: going to do with her for the winter? I think that's this winter.
5: Yeah, we're talking about actually hauling her to get some work done this winter. Uh, We don't, we're not sure yet where she's going to stay this winter. We're looking at a few options right now. Uh, But what we did this summer was take the pike around to several ports on the bay, different Mm -hmm. festivals, and it's exactly what we're going to do again. We hope it ends next summer.
2: I I think that's part of showing the museum. Uh, People will be more interested. They'll be more willing to donate to it. You can do more programs with it than than some, uh, you know, display item, right? You know? Well, as I say, even in
5: the little bit that we got around this summer, I've been amazed at the response. Yeah, yeah, you know, it connects yeah, with people, yeah. and it's connecting different communities around the Bay, yeah. and I think if we can continue that, we are achieving success, you know, in terms of the mission of our museum, doing something a little more contemporary, connecting yeah. Yeah. with people, remembering these stories, collecting this information, yeah. and uh, doing it our job at starting to preserve this boat. I mean, and, there's a lot. And the I mean just as
2: offhand comments, but there's a lot of good Local materials that could go in a vessel like that that really aren't that expensive. I mean, just several different materials that you scratch your head that you can dig up around here that I've seen beautiful trees destroyed that... Would have made beautiful right. boat building lumber. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, and yeah. you're getting at the other reality of the situation, in that we're, uh, you know, a nonprofit organization with <laughs> very little funds. And yeah. this is a project that came upon us pretty quickly and wasn't one that wasn't funded. So we've, we're hustling out there trying to you know, raise some money and see yeah. what we can do to, to do exactly what you're saying. Well,
0: Boat asset is a <laughs> you, series of, uh, you, what do you call you, them, oxymorons, I guess. So. You can
2: blame me, because I was the seed that started this. <laughs> well, but you know, I get, I, it's a great, great opportunity. How many times do you have a chance like yeah. this to get a boat? Cost Taylor quite a bit of money, <laughs> but... Yeah.
4: Well, I'm That's afraid we've uh,
1: come up against the, uh, the clock here and need to wrap it up and head down the pike. I'm sorry. We left
0: people Could hanging are, on the phone. Oh, hello, hello, we didn't get the, you know, we got most of the story out, but yeah. there's, there's uh,
1: quite a bit more to talk about yeah.
0: here. Oh, another yeah. embarrassment
2: we'll get them back again. Swing yeah. by
1: the museum and, and learn more. I'd like to make this one quick announcement right before we leave. Uh, our friends at Come Boating are going to be having an event in about three weeks down in Belfast. Uh, on Wednesday, October 1st, they're going to have a fundraising sale out of Castine on board the Bowden. The sale's going to run from about 4 to 6 p.m., and you need to uh, do advance registration if you'd like to go. You can contact them at 338-3466. That's 338-3466 for a sale on Wednesday, October 1st, on board the Bowdoin. Boat Talk, second Tuesday of the month.
0: You ought to black them all off on your calendar right now. in the meantime, Jim Hoosh coming up with On the Wing next on community radio here.
1: Well, we might, you want uh, to give some uh, contact information for the Penobscot Marine Museum before we leave too? Glad to
5: do it. Uh, we're right there on Route 1 in Searsport, uh,
1: www.penobscotmarinemuseum.org. Uh,
5: phone number is 548 2529, and uh, the other website that i mentioned earlier is www.penobscotbayhistory.org. And we've got a section on the Jacob
1: Pike on the website as well. Oh, great. Well, thank you, Niles and Sam, and thank yeah, you, thank Kathy. you
2: very much. I hope you'll come come back I again. We'll the love the to do it any time. I Thanks, guys. Thank Sam. you. Thank you.
4: Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of. Han-